Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture this morning. Rita is coming to read our scripture. Our scripture comes out of the gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's found in the Pew Bibles there in front of you on page 735, if you would like to find it, or you can follow along in your own Bibles as well. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the scripture say? Moses' law say, how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will, you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt pity on him and compassion. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher, I will pay it the next time I'm coming. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, and now go and do the same. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world, through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, I want to preface what I am going to be saying today and over the next couple of weeks with, uh, with a few words. First, let me say that, um, that there is more potential at First Church than any church that I've ever been around. I, I, I want to get that out of the way. Uh, I, I've pastored some churches that had zero potential whatsoever. Uh, I've, I've pastored a church of a town, uh, in, a, in a town of 300, uh, and that, that church had 30 in worship. I mean, we had 10% of the population of that town. <laughs> they were about as big as they were ever going to be. I, I've pastored a church that was on the edge of a town of, of, uh, of, of 12,000, and there were three United Methodist churches in that town. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of potential uh, to that church growing. I, I, I pastored another church that was an open country church. It literally was on the open plains 
there were maybe four inhabited houses around. There were lots of houses around the church, but there were only four that had someone living in them. There was very, very little potential. I, I pastored another church that I thought was probably, had probably the most potential of any church that I had been around, and, and, it, and it was up to that point. It was a, a, in a town of 50,000. It was a, in a growing area. It was a brand new facility, and there was significant potential in that church, but it pales in comparison to the potential that is in this church. We have literally tens of thousands of people within walking distance of this church. We are in prime location, prime location. So first, I want to say that this church is absolutely and completely full of potential, and that's why, that's why I'm going to say the things that I am getting ready to say today and over, over, the, coming, over the coming weeks. Two years ago, whenever, um, just over two years ago, whenever I got a call from my district superintendent saying that I was going to be appointed um, to First Church in Oklahoma City, I was, I was beyond excited because I knew the potential of First Church. But the first words out of his mouth, and the next time I saw the bishop, the first words out of the bishop's mouth were this, Leslie, we have sent you to First United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City to grow that church. They knew the reality that we face as a church. They knew the reality that over the last 20 years, we have seen significant, steady, uh, and, and I mean, it, 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 it's decline. For the last 20 years, it has been significant and steady. Last 20 years. They knew that. And certainly, it has become evident to, to all of us as well. But I was sent here to First Church to grow this church, to reach the unchurched. That is my passion. That is my very calling. When I was 18 years old and I received the call to, uh, to be a United Methodist pastor, it wasn't to be a bureaucrat in a church. It wasn't to be the, the maintenance guy in a church. It wasn't, it wasn't to, uh, to, to work in a church. No, my calling at its very core is to be an evangelist for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, today is going to be, and over the next couple, couple of weeks, it's going to be, I, I apologize, uh, I'm not sure that I've really preached these kinds of sermons before. It's going to be a little bit of a private family conversation. And so if you are new to First Church, you can listen in, certainly, and we want, we want you to be here. If you're if you're first-time guest today, that's completely fine. I, I think that you're going to hear some words uh, for you as well. But beyond anything, uh, today and, and over the next couple of weeks, it's kind of a little bit of a, of a private family conversation for us to lay the groundwork for what I believe that God is wanting to do in, uh, in, the, in, in our midst and through the life of our church. Let me say that healthy, long-term growth in this church or in, or in any church or in the very kingdom of God will not occur through preaching or the teaching ability of the pastor. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. Long-term, healthy growth in this church or in any church or in the very kingdom of God will not occur because of the preaching or teaching ability of the church or of the pastor. 
of the, of the giftedness of an associate pastor, or even, even through an event or a series of programs, there isn't a program one that will create sustained long-term growth. Dear friends, it's all about friendships. That's what it's about. So two years ago, when I first came to First Church, I, we had a, a series of listening, uh, uh, really cluster meetings is what they were. Uh, it was a listening tour. And, and, and I listened as, as the members of First Church asked, uh, or they, as you all began to share your vision for First Church. What I heard time and time and time again was that we want First Church to grow. We want to become a, a bigger church, and, and, and I never heard a bad motivation for that. I never heard someone say, well, we want to we get more people so that our budget will grow larger. We want to get more people so that, so that we'll be a higher esteemed church. I never heard that. Time and again, what I heard was, we want to be a bigger church because we want others to come to know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want others to come to know salvation that is through Jesus Christ. However, what I heard time and time and time again was that, isn't there some sort of program? Isn't there some sort of event that we can have? Surely we can have an event that will draw people downtown. Surely there will be a, a, a surely you're gifted, not, gifted enough as a pastor, like, like former pastors that we've had, that people will drive from miles and miles and miles around to hear you, to hear you preach and to hear you. Surely you'll be able to hire an associate pastor that will go on and, and do bigger and better things like First Church did at one point. Let me tell you, no, it's, it, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not that kind of pastor, and it's a, different, a far different world today. Sustained, long-term growth in the life of a church takes place when we are committed to friendship. When we're committed to, to, friend, to friendship. But the problem is that our culture isn't good at friendship anymore. We, we don't know how to be friends anymore. It, surely, sure, we, we stay in contact through social media. We, we see posts of our, of our old college roommate and, and, what, and what he had for supper last night. We see, the, we see what movie that our friend down the street saw last week. We, we even see pictures of the new baby born uh, to, our, to our niece that lives across the town. But but we don't see them except, except when we run across them in, in the store. The major premise of, of this entire series is this. What if Jesus was serious when he said, love your neighbor? What if he was really serious when he said, love your neighbor? Now, one of the problems we get at whenever we read this passage of Scripture this passage of Scripture, whenever we hear Jesus say things like, uh, the first and greatest commandment is this, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I mean, there are a number of, there are a number of problems that we have for, with this, uh, and, and at least myself, the, the way that I miss the mark when it comes to loving my neighbor is that I have this idea that everybody is my neighbor, which, by the way, everyone is my neighbor. 
And so I just go around and I just try to, try to love everybody. The problem, however, whenever we don't take Jesus' words literally and seriously is that, well, we just kind of love everybody and it's just kind of nice and, and, and we'll catch up with people on social media and, and it's not about relationships. It's just, you know, it's just kind of being a nice and quaint little Christian. But I think that Jesus was really serious when he said, love your neighbor. The problem is that we know our neighbor only, literally, our neighbors that live around us, we know them only when we, when we may see them as we close the garage on the way into our house and we, we may wave at them. Or we, we, may, we, may, we may wave at them as they're walking through our neighborhood, as we're driving by, as we're going to work in the morning. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. We don't know what kind of things they have going on in their lives. But, but obviously they're neighbors. What would it be like if we really took Jesus' word seriously to love your neighbors? It was, well, that was the question that prompted this infamous story that Jesus told. The first question was, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the laws and the prophets. Oh, I, I know all of the commandments. I keep all of the commandments. Well, fantastic. Keep all of them. Keep all of them. The guy said, well, I, I know that... Um, I, I know that loving God and, and loving neighbor is so very important. Yeah, I, I do all of those kinds of things. But then he went, in, went on and, and, and asked the question. By the way, it's the same question that's been asked time and time and time throughout all of the Bible. So who is my neighbor? I mean, we, we have passages of Scripture throughout the Bible answering that question, who is my neighbor? Now, now for a period in the Old Testament... The understanding of neighbor was those who that, that looked just like you, those that were in your tribe, literally in your tribe. Those that were your fellow Jews, that was who your neighbor was. But we get, we get inklings throughout, throughout the Old Testament. In the Levitical Code, in Deuteronomy as well, Leviticus 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 34 says this, "...the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born." Love them as yourself. For, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I think God is, is trying to push them to expand their understanding who their neighbor really is. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Give it, give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so that you can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. So the guy's asking Jesus, okay, so you say love your neighbor. Am I to love only those who are in my tribe or or?" Or, or does the whole Deuteronomy and the minor passage of, of Leviticus, does that apply as well? And, and so Jesus told them then that, that again, that infamous story of the, of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I, I've preached on that parable a number of times. I'm sure many, if not most of you, have read that story multiple, multiple times. You know how it goes. The man was, there was a man who was on a very dangerous road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was, by the way, even today it's called the bloody way because it's such a dangerous little path 
going through the, uh, going through the nooks and the crannies of that very mountainous region. And so he shouldn't have been there by himself. He shouldn't have been on that road by himself, but he was. He went on that road by himself, and obviously he fell, he fell among robbers, and they beat him up and robbed him, and they laid him for dead. Uh, they left him for dead alongside the road. And here came one of the religious leaders, a priest. But he was oh so very busy. More than likely... Well, it may very well have been he recognized the man. It, it may have very well been that he, he knew the man from his neighborhood enough to, enough to wave at him as he was going into his garage. But he passed by on the other side because he, was, he just had so many other things to do. And then a Levite came along. A Levite, again, maybe he would have recognized the man from doing his morning walk in his neighborhood enough to wave hi to him. But he was on his way to do some really good religious duty in the, in the temple, and he walked by on the other side. But then there was a hated Samaritan. The hated Samaritan saw the man, he had compassion on him, and he began to care for him. And so again, my question is, what if Jesus really was serious when he said, love your neighbors? On the back of your bulletin, in the back of your bulletin, you'll find a place for some notes. I want you to take just a, just a moment. I want you to think about the eight households where you live, where you live, where you're staying. I want you to think about the, the, your closest eight neighbors to, your, to the place where you stay. I want you to think about, I mean, you can, I mean, so there's the house with the white trim uh, on one side, and you've got the house with the brown trim on the other side, you've got the people across the street from you, you've got the family down there that always does up their house, and it looks like better homes and gardens, you know. Okay, I want you to write down their names, the, the names of your nearest eight neighbors where, where you stay. Take just a moment, write down their names, eight of them. I'm going to give you about mm, 15 or 20 seconds to do this. Okay, just write down their names. It can even be last names. Okay, I see you all are still working on that. Okay, now I, want you to, now I want you to write something about them, like uh, they have a dog, or um, they drive a Ford pickup, or um, they have a pool in their backyard, something surface, something you know about that family. Again, maybe they have a pet, maybe they have kids, um, maybe they, you know, one of them works at the Air Force Base, maybe, maybe one of them, um, the, the wife works downtown. Write something about them, what you know about them. As many of them as you can. Take a, few, take a few seconds to do that. My wife is looking at me. You know some things about our neighbors? Okay.
Okay, now I want you to write down something that you, that you know about them because you're connected to them. Maybe it's a tragedy they've had in their life. Maybe it's a deep need that they have in their life. As many as you can. Or do you know, or do you know anything about them? Write something, write something down about these families because you know them. Because you've connected with them. Because you've spent time with them. Let me, let me, let me, let me in on, let me, I, I want to let you in on a, on a secret. Only 10% of those who, who have done this before, only 10% of Americans could fill out all eight neighbors, all the names of all eight neighbors. Only 10%. And then only uh, 3% could tell you something, something surface about all eight neighbors, and only 1% could tell you some of the intimate details of all eight of their neighbors. I'll tell you something, friends. I think we have absolutely failed as individuals and as members of First Church of loving our neighbors. Because if we are loving our neighbors, we would be able, we'd be able to tell about the details of every single one of our literal neighbors. The problem is that many of us, here's, here's what I found over the last 22 years of being a pastor. After three years of being part of a church, 80 to 90% of our friends are in that church. It's the people we hang out with. It's why we're in this church, by the way. We love one another. We're kind of similar. We kind of, we, most of us have similar worldviews as well. Uh, we, we hang out in the same places. We enjoy the same kinds of things. We're friends with one another. Typically, after three years of a church, uh, 80 to 90% of our friends attend that same church, attend that we're in that exact same circle of friends. That is an absolute failure on our part. If we're going to grow as a church, if the kingdom of God is going to be able to grow through the ministry of First United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City, it means that we're going to have to get out of our backyards, we're going to have to get into our front yards, and we're literally going to have to start meeting our neighbors. And we're going to have to love our neighbors. Scott had been a, uh, he had been a, a, a pretty decent churchgoer most of his life. His parents raised him in church. He was a, he was a, he was a good guy, but he wasn't too terribly religious, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I mean, he would attend church whenever he could. Uh, he, he got married to a wonderful woman. They had a couple, a couple of sons, and, and they always, again, kind of attended church. They mainly wanted to raise their kids in church like they had been raised in church. They weren't too, they weren't too terribly involved in the churches that they had attended over the years. Now, Scott had been, he had been a deacon in one of his churches, but he didn't take it too seriously. The reason he, went, he, he, uh, he was a deacon is because, well, they asked him to, and he had turned them down so many times, and so he decided he would serve as a deacon. And then they, they, got, they got involved in another church, and, and things began to change. He, he, got in, he got involved in a church that was, that was just kind of real. I mean, they, they, were, um, they were pretty authentic. They were, there was some creativity, but there was, uh, there was also a, a real sense of stability. There was some, 
there was some real life change of things going on in, in this church that, that's, that Scott and his wife Amy became involved with. And, and Scott had a, had, had a wonderful job, and he had a, had a brand new co-worker, really young woman that came and, and started working with him at his office. And, and they had similar interests and similar worldviews, even though he was in his uh, mid-40s at the time, and, and she was in her early 20s. And so uh, he began to share with her about that he was, uh, he'd started going to this new church, and he kind of, he kind of enjoyed it. And she was brand new in town. She had no friends whatsoever. She was not from that area. Uh, he had grown up in the area. So we invited her to church. She said, oh, you know, church really isn't my thing. In fact, she said, I've never been to church. Um, I, I've, I've been inside of a church to a funeral, and I went one time uh, to a wedding, but I've never been to a church service. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure it's for me, Scott. Um, but Scott invited her the, the next week. And so Tyler decided that she would attend, attend church. And when she came to that church service, uh, she, was, she sat back and really just kind of watched. She was um, expecting to find a bunch of kind of some religious kooks, but uh, she found kind of some normal people. And these were people that were kind of struggling through life, but People that began, she, I mean, she picked up very early on that these people had found something that had made a difference in their life. When she, when she sat there and, and the pastor asked uh, people to take their pew Bibles and open up their pew Bibles, it was the very first Bible she had ever held in her hand. She had seen one from a distance, but she opened up the Bible to the page number and read along and um, it deeply impacted her. And so Tyler came back the second week. And a year later, she asked, she asked her pastor to, well, she said she was ready to, to join that church and to be baptized. And, and a year later, she came to me and asked, uh, well, she said she had been dating this guy and wanted me to do her wedding. And then a year later, uh, she had a baby and had wanted wanted me, her pastor, to, to dedicate or to, to bless that little baby. Scott is not, would never say that he's an evangelist. <laughs> and if you had ever, if you would meet Scott, you would know he, he is not an evangelist <laughs> at all. He's a very good friend of mine now. I hang out with him quite often, my wife and I do. But Scott befriended someone who didn't have a friend and because he did that he brought her to faith in Jesus Christ she's married an amazing guy they have a beautiful little child and she is a faithful Christian because the preacher was such a good preacher <laughs> because we had some sort of program that reached out not at all it's because of relationships Scott understood what it was to love his neighbor, his neighbor at work, the woman he worked with. Young, on, on the surface, it didn't appear they had anything in common, but his life had been changed in that church, and he was so excited to invite someone else and to come and experience that same kind of life change. You see, I believe that we are all called to love our neighbor just like that. 
I mean, there's, there's one thing up to, to just, you know, wave at our neighbor as we're going on into our house as our garage door comes down. It's a whole other thing to love our neighbor because we found the love of God through Jesus Christ here at this church, and we want others to come and experience the same kind of transforming power that we've experienced. That is loving our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Those that live around us. Those that work around us. Our own families. That's our neighbor. And we better start loving them, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Would you bow with me? Oh God, sometimes we're so distracted and just trying to be nice. Trying to be kind to everyone that we lose sight of those who are closest to us. Our literal neighbors, those that live next to us, those that work next to us, our family members who live with us. God, you've called us to love them. And what act of love is higher than sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ? There is no higher act of love. So today, today at First United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City, we've committed that we're part of this church. We're here, O Lord. And you put us here for a purpose. It's not by accident that we are in worship today. It's not by accident that we live in the house that we live in. It's not by accident that we work in our places of work. It's not by accident that we have the family members that we do. You put all of those things into our lives so that we can share with them your great love in Jesus Christ. Today, we commit afresh and anew to share your love with them, to befriend those who have no friends so that they can come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.